If you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We saw last week that the book of 1 Thessalonians was the second of the New Testament books to be written, the earliest book of Paul to be written, to a tiny little church that he planted and hardly recognized that he planted. He simply shared the gospel with people, was run out of town immediately, and found to his delight and to God's glory that there was a church worshiping uh, as a result of believing the gospel, that it's God who saves and God is willing to work in the lives of of sinners to bring them to to himself. So as as we look into this very small book, there's five chapters in this book, this, this first letter, it is beautiful. It is beautiful because he's praising God for the life that he sees in the people that he barely knew, that he, he wanted to get to know even deeper. And you'll see that there's actually two letters uh, to the Thessalonians for that reason. So this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention to you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, the labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves show us of what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So we saw last time, that as Paul wrote to this church, granted, uh, wishing them grace and peace that already were theirs, and that he was delighted to see life in them because they exhibited faith and hope and love. And these things were marks of God's people. It's not something that you can counterfeit. It's not something truly that can be faked at all. You know when someone is alive and you know when someone is not alive. And in this passage, starting in verse, uh, at the beginning of this chapter, we're really looking at the marks or the signs of life. What is it that looks like someone who is truly alive? And is that, is that something that you can see in the ones you love? Is it someone, something you can see in ourselves? This is, this is uh, essentially marks of, uh, of a breathing soul that God has raised from the dead. So it, it starts here in verse 4. We looked at 1 through 3 last time. In verse 4, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Now, there's nothing stronger you could say. Paul is saying to these people, 
I praise the Lord because you belong to God. I can tell. I know that, you're, that you belong to God. And there isn't anything that you could say about a person any greater. That's the highest compliment you could ever pay a person, is I can tell from your life that you love God and that you've been changed by God, that you've been brought from dead to life. You're alive, that you belong to God. It's, it's amazing. You can't see the secret counsels of God, but you can see the effects. Jesus said you don't see the wind. You don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going, but you can see the trees bending over when the wind blows on them. And when you have come to life, when you, Jesus told that man you must be born again, when you are born again, the baby cries. That is a mark of its life. In fact, if you don't hear the baby crying, you're panicked because that, that's the very first thing that you know that that baby is alive. He took a gulp of air and screamed his head off. And that is exactly what happens in our lives. God raises us from the stupor of our sins to where we couldn't care less about him. We didn't care. We never felt any guilt. We never felt the first pain of, uh, of accusation that we were not right with a God, that somehow God was fine with us. I shared the gospel with a man last week, and I shared the gospel, and he didn't have the first, not even any inkling of guilt before God. I said, what do you do with your guilt? What do you do with your guilt knowing that you're guilty in front of God? And the man said, I'm not guilty in front of God. And, I mean, of course, then there's the sadness because that's a mark of not life, do you see? You can look at a person and know their testimony shows, their, their breathing shows whether their heart is beating or not. And Paul said, I can tell that God is in your life, that he has risen you from the dead and that you are his because, first of all, you received the gospel, you receive the gospel. That is an, that's a mark of a believer. The believer is a believer because the gospel had an impact on him. To, to share the gospel knowing that a person's dead, you are sharing it in, you're planting in faith, knowing that God raises the dead. But you share out of love. You share out of compassion. I have no idea what God is doing in this world, but the little that he's told me about... I'm faithful to. That's it. He, he makes you faithful in that amount. And then as you share the simple gospel, and it's simple, you can then see if there's something that happens and or not. And he said, you receive the gospel. That's a mark of life. How wonderful that is that you listen to a one sermon or one conversation and something stirred and broke in your heart, and now you turn to God, that is, a, that is life. That's, that's, that's amazing. And to Paul, there was nothing better. He loved these people. Why? Not because he knew them well. He loved them because they loved God. And they loved God in Christ, which is acceptable to God. It's true love for God and reciprocated love. God loves them. To, to be in Christ is to be where God's love is abounding, pouring out of you over your head and down your clothes. And he said there's evidences of God's Holy Spirit in your life. There are graces in you that only come when Holy, the Holy Spirit is, at act, is working. It's not something based upon 
your brain. It's not something based upon your, your education. It's not based upon how, how socially acceptable you are. It is something that Holy Spirit is doing in you and living his life out through you. And that's unmistakable. You can tell when someone's home because the lights are on. You can tell when someone's not there because the lights aren't on. I've talked to people like that too. It's the same. And Paul is praising the Lord for you. I can tell you belong to God. That is, that's just wonderful. Verse 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, For our gospel came not only to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Beautifully easy here to lay out. I think anybody could lay out this. What do you talk about first? What do you talk about second? It says here, the gospel came to you not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, because you knew what kind of people we were when we were in front of you, that there was something that happened as a result, um, and the gospel did something. So let's start first of all with that first, uh, that first uh, comment. It happened in word. So in order for, the, for a person to be saved, and in order for a person to be turned to God, truly turned to God in a way that God accepts them, it has to happen through his word. His word does it all. His word goes from him to us and returns to him. And he said it doesn't return empty ever. It always accomplishes exactly what I gave it for. So the, the rainwater, that raindrop might not hit a plant, but eventually that water will water a plant. It will do what it, what it was designed to do. And his word is powerful. This is, a, this is from Hebrews chapter 4. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. You see? So it is a... It is, the word is not just pronounced, but it's pronounced with, with God's power through it. So you think of it as like a glove that has a hand in it. The Holy Spirit is the hand that can do anything. And in the glove of the word, it directly goes into us. It's like a sword that goes into your heart and pierces, sets apart things. It divides the soul and the spirit. It divides the joints and the marrow and it discerns the thoughts of your heart. So when you read the Bible, it's unmistakable. You're looking straight into your own thoughts. You're looking into your own heart. You know what it is that it's speaking to you. And, a, a, and in fact, that's why you read the scriptures in public assembly. You read the scriptures. You don't just talk about them. You read them together, and as you read them together, God is there teaching you. The Holy Spirit is right now working um, as his word is proclaimed. But it's not just words. It's not about words. First uh, Corinthians 4 says, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. It's not just words that mean something. It's not an intellectual pursuit. It's not for somebody that's verbal and for people that are not verbal, something else is available. No, God interacts with us through the eternal word. Jesus said the world will burn, burn up and there will be nothing left and the only thing that ever left will be my word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not. 
that word is who he is and how he chooses to deal with men. Is it everything about God? We don't know. Do you see? We have no idea. We don't know the secret things of God. But the things that he's revealed to us is for us and for our children, the prophet said. Okay, that it's something that we can then do something about. We can hold on ourselves and we can pass it on to the ones we love and to the ones we hate. And it's something that will continuously work itself out. God made this planet to have life on it. And he made us to be alive. And this is how he does it. He took dead people, dead in their sins, and made them alive through his word. That's powerful. 1 Corinthians 2 says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Do you see? So Paul is saying, I don't preach so that you'll like listening to me. It's not that I'm trying to engage you necessarily. I'm simply trying to very clearly tell you what the Bible says. And that's all it is. A sermon is not entertainment, though I love listening to sermons. It's, it's engaging to my heart. It's engaging to my soul. It's engaging my mind. I would rather listen to a sermon than, than see any kind of a show. I can't... The kids beg me to watch television with them, and I have to plant myself to watch it because I can't stand to watch television. But I will listen to a sermon. I'll read a sermon. But that it's not for its entertainment value. It's because... If you truly just explain what is there, God's power does everything. It delights you. If, if you're a saved person, it's the nourishment that you crave. It's what you want. It's not something that you are ever bored with. It doesn't just sit on your ear. So, the, so it said the word and in power in the Holy Spirit. You see, if, God, if the Lord doesn't build a house, the workmen work in vain. If God is not in his Holy Spirit doing a work in our heart, there is no work being done in our heart. We don't, we don't, don't do a DYI on our own heart. It's not something that we do. We would just have a catastrophe of our life. And you've tried to self-reform. I know you have. I know I have. I know I've tried to be good and do right and keep my nose clean. It doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't move you towards anything. But when God is working in you, and there's power from that word powerfully displayed and the Holy Spirit is gifting you and doing something in your heart, then there is life as results because it's, it's God is the giver of life. And then it says in much assurance that these people, though they were so uh, shortly taught, had assurance that God loves me. And it wasn't a false assurance. It wasn't assurance like so many people in this country who all think God loves them and has a great plan for their life. No, God loves you because you've turned to him. You've turned to him through Christ. And that honoring of his son is the highest thing that God would ever value. And he loves you. He wants you. He sings over you. You are his treasure. You're his possession. And he gives you assurance. You may have persecution. You may have every ill thing that, that the world would call a curse, but it does not matter. If you can watch God smile as you live your life, knowing what he has 
and being sure of it, that hope that, they, that, they, that he talked about last week, that, that hope that you have, then you are fine. To, to, have, to be able to go through bad, hard life, but yet ha- know that God is winking at you, that's joy to know. I mean, to, we went to a cabin last week and just and nearly froze to death and burned all kinds of wood and my iPad smells like fire. Still, still smells like smoke. I, it'll be forever. It'll smell like smoke. Do you realize I didn't feel deprived at all? I didn't feel that we didn't live in a nice place and, and the, those creaky hundred-year-old floors. It was a joy. For God to, to show you that your life is hard does not mean he's cursed you. It means he loves you. He doesn't love you by making you go through hard things, but he allows you to go through anything that you're going to be allowed, and he tells you at the same time, I love you. I love you forever. I love you with an everlasting love that will never change, that will never ever diminish. And that assurance is a mark of a living thing. So we're going to go through those four things. The word, the powerful word, the Holy Spirit-powered word, and the assured word. So the first thing that I see that Paul is, is saying is I can plainly see that the gospel is powerful and effective in you. And I, I needed to go here first because I don't want it to be about the Thessalonians. I don't want it to be about us, as though somehow if you see that I have a, a life in my, in my bones, that somehow it's my fault, that I did something awesome, that, that I should be lauded for. It, Paul is not saying, I, love, I think it's awesome that, that you are saved because you did such a great thing. He's really bragging on his, on his gospel. He's saying the gospel has power effective power in your life, and I can see it. Look what it did. So, you, d- you know, you don't brag on the light bulb. You brag on the electricity. It's the electricity that causes the light bulb to burn. You don't say, wow, what an awesome light bulb, because, because it's God that does it. And Paul is seeing the gospel has power, and the gospel essentially is God's love for men through Christ. That's what the gospel is. It's what you value. It's what you applaud. And that it has effects on men is that man's greatest joy, that he would be right with God and have peace with God forever, is his greatest. There's nothing better in his life than that. But it's not he that gets the praise. It's God that gets the praise. So he says, I see that there was power first to break down walls. That's what I, that's what I wrote down first. I see, Paul says, in your life that this gospel that I preached to you in, in, remember, I was running when I got to you. I was running from the mob in the previous town when I got to you, beaten up and bleeding, like and putting my teeth back into a socket. That's who I was. You saw me. I wasn't in, I wasn't in the best shape, shape that I was in. I didn't think clearly. I simply shared in weakness what the gospel says. And you believed. Isn't it awesome that that gospel can break down walls? Because what, a, what opposition did I put up to the gospel? I put every opposition up. I didn't want God. I didn't want God. Why would I, I would run from God. I don't want to be told that I'm wrong. I don't want to be told that I'm bad and I'm dirty. I want to be thinking that the, the, the man who, that, that I shared with the other day didn't know that God was even displeased at all. But yet he was telling me about how could, what a catastrophe his life was. 
But at the same time, he didn't think that, that God had anything to do with it at all. Why would God even think about me, he said. Well, it's because that the gospel can break down walls. So if you're alive, walls had to be broken down. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Right? Do you see the opposition that I have, the coldness I had, the lack of love I had, the lack of response I had, that I couldn't care less, that I, that I added sin upon sin to God, and God chased me down with his love. And it broke it down to where I then turned from hating him into loving him. There was a huge change. It wasn't just waking up. It was actually coming to life. It was something completely different. What I shouldn't have been able to do, I did because God was working. He broke down those walls to where I even knew that there was, there was something against God that I had personally done and that I have something to do, that I must respond. That had to go, and the gospel does that. And don't ever give up as you're sharing with your friends. Never, never give up. As you're sharing with your, your children who you're like, but my children, they, sh- they should have loved God, and they don't, you never give up. You share and you share and you share and you love and you share and you love and you share. Those, those walls can come down. Jericho's walls can come down. And the, and the attackers, remember Jericho, simply went from all directions and just walked over the rubble and into the... Into the there was an unopposed... I promise God is unopposed. When your walls break, he's unopposed. He doesn't have to then figure out how he's now going to get in. He just walks right over the rubble of your life and comes straight in and changes you and brings you to life. That's what happens. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and he said, you think I cast out devils by Beelzebub? Are you serious? But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come to you. If it's God's kingdom, God's kingdom has come to you if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, or else can, can, or how else can one enter a strong man's house and spoil his goods except first he bind the strong man, then he spoils his house? Do you see it? The devil is a strong man that owned me, owned me, played with me, toyed with me like a cat before he killed me forever. He had no love for me. He, he possessed me, and he was a strong man armed, it said in Luke. A strong man armed. Who could break into a strong man armed? You think, how many people would be willing to break into a house in Webster County? Not me, I promise, not me. I wouldn't break into anybody's house. I know what's on the other side of that door. But how would you break into a strong man armed's house unless he first overcome and bind that strong man. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He bound that strong man. There was no, he had no power left. It was an, it was a, an imagined power. The power that the devil has over me is only based upon my thinking that he has power over me. He has none. He was vanquished. He was destroyed in a day. And death was destroyed in a day. When Jesus breathed again, he was, death was destroyed. And I became alive. 
And I am now capable of that wall, that protection, that strong man armed that's protecting me, not because he loves me, but because he hates me. That is what God did in Christ to us. So Jesus, so Paul is saying, I preached that the, as I preached, there was a power that broke down walls. Second thing I wrote down is, as I preached, faith was given. As I preached, I can tell you're alive. I can tell you're elect because as I preached, you had faith. Faith that should never have been given to you was given to you. So Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. So again, the word of God is first. That powerful word that can divide soul and spirit is first. The Holy Spirit then does something with that word. Okay, so the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he gives faith to you. He, he breaks down everything opposed. And remember back in, in Corinthians that I just read, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself above, God, uh, above the knowledge of God and brings into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's what we do now. This is not, this is not what happened to us originally. It's not passive. We don't have a passive faith. We live our lives. We live our lives based upon what God has done. The assurance that he gives me, the, the faith that I have that's unshakable. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. When you just say, do I have the Son? The answer, yes, is all you need. You're fine. All you just relax. You're re- you just exhale. You're not in any danger. God has got you. There's no wrath for us. There is no wrath. That's how the end, that's how the verse 10 ends, that he's taken away our wrath. So we relax. But in my life, not only did the Holy Spirit cast down the walls to allow me to, to believe, but now I continuously, now I work with the Holy Spirit. I, I co-labor with God, not in the saving of my own soul, but in my response. As I love God and I reach out for God, what reaching out to God means is that every time that there is a a stone in my garden, I throw it in somebody else's garden. Every time there is a thought that is against the authority of God in my life and in this entire world, I throw it away. I take every thought into captivity Do you see it? So there was a breaking down of the walls originally, and then there's a breaking down of the walls continuously. I promise I have a trillion walls that must be broken down. I must, because my heart is not fully God's. I'm I'm still wrapped in my grave clothes, and I am tied up, and I have to be free. And that as so God doesn't just passively take you to heaven. It's not just that you could be informed of your salvation on your deathbed. No. God saved you when you're seven. Why? Why? He saved me when I was 26. Chances are I would have never come to the Lord. 26 is pretty old to be coming to the Lord. Very, very few 26-year-olds come to Christ. But it happens. And there's 95-year-olds that have come to the Lord, and I've seen it. And they're alive. They were as alive as live. And you're like, my goodness, they were dead. Now they're alive. It's unmistakable. Paul's seeing that. And he said, I saw that faith was given. You heard the word. It was powerfully done. The Holy Spirit did something in your life and you trusted. You trusted what God said. Third thing I wrote down was, as I preached, the Holy Spirit gave you his inward testimony and gave you the gifts to seal the truth in you. So 
He gave you something that knows that he's there. Because of if you're anything like me, 100,000 times doubting, as you see the sin in your hand, you say, how could I possibly belong to God? I'm a sinner. I'm a liar. I'm a tricker. Why on earth would God allow me to even have anything to do with him? I must be a fraud. Do you see? And you preach the gospel to yourself. You say, he who has the Son has life. I verily, he that believeth in me, Jesus said, hath eternal life. That's what he said. That is what you must say to yourself. You must say, do I want him? Do I want to be holy? Do I desire that? Because dead people do not. Do you see it? Dead people do not. If you see sin in your life and you hate it, that's all the... That's all the proof you need. Do you hate the sin in your life? Dead people don't hate it. Dead people don't care. Dead people do not think of their, that they have opposed God at all or that God has anything against them. They don't even recognize God as God because they're dead. If you hate the sin that you practice and are striving for holiness, whatever that means, that is proof that your lungs are, are expanding with air. That's life. That's what it, life looks like. This is Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You've received the spirit of adoption. So the Holy Spirit that you received is that mark upon you, is the spirit of adoption. You know that you're not only just um, forgiven and despised, get out of my sight, but you are forgiven and accepted not just as a, as a cringing servant, but as a son, God has given you everything. He, he elevated you to, to that level. And when I think of that I should even not die, that, that even God would, would just destroy me and not let my soul live forever, if that would have been enough. But he didn't. He gives you all things. He who, who spared not his son Will not he with him freely give you all things? That's what, that's what we read today. He, he loves you for that reason. And it says in 16, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So God's Holy Spirit, as tortured as your life is, as totally up and down and roller coaster as your life is, as, as unexemplary in your own imagination as your life is, God has put his Spirit in you and you know that God will treat you kindly for Jesus' sake. That is what you're, you're sure of it. You're sure. I don't know that the ceiling will not cave in today. I do not know that the floor will not cave in today. But I know that Jesus is my Savior and God loves me through him. That is, that's assurance. Do you see it? And you may, have to, you may have to take yourself by the scruff of the neck and pull yourself back to reality. And that is what the Bible does. We ourselves participate with the Holy Spirit and we respond to him. This is Ephesians chapter 1. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also you believed. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of a purpose, purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Do you see it? We were sealed as earnest money. Do you know what earnest money is? You just bought a a field. Did you have to give earnest money 
before the lawyers did their thing? Yes. Earnest money is a check usually for $500. I don't know how much you pay. $500, I think, is the going rate. doesn't matter how much the house is. You pay, you write, and you have to write them a check, and you give them a check for $500. They put it in an envelope. Nobody spends the $500. But if you renege and go back out of, the, out of your word, you're not, not seeing that $500. That check will be cashed tomorrow. That is earnest. It means I'm in earnest. When God says, I love you with an everlasting love, how do you know? How do you know that? It looks like my life is the same. I'm as poor as I was the same. I'm as dumb as I was the same. I'm as ugly as I was the same. Why in the world do I think God loves me? Because he gave me the earnest of the Holy Spirit in my life that makes me know that God will be kind to me. That earnest is a mark. It is a proof It is a down payment of something that will come later. It is not something that you must have it all now. God says it's the same as good. You have my check. You have my check, and that check is the Holy Spirit, and it's a mark. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now he which established you uh, in Christ hath appointed us and sealed us and given the earnest of to the day of redemption. You see, he sealed it. So you have to know what a seal is. You have to know that it's a mark. Melissa, believe it or not, in this morning as we were driving here, said, have you ever heard of the tomahawk laws? She was was in her history buff thing, and she was talking about when the first settlers came into this valley, the only thing that marked their territory was uh, like a rough cut on on a tree. You'd take a tomahawk and make either one slash or two slashes or some kind of a mark, and that was your mark. And wherever there was a tree that had that mark, before some other mark was on that tree, that was your land. That's how it worked. That is a mark. That is what God did with us. He gave us the tomahawk mark. And that mark does two things. It seals you for... It seals you to show ownership. Who is owning this? This is the mark. This is my mark. It's like a brand. I don't know if you've ever seen branded cows. You, this was your, this is my brand. This is who I am. This is mine. So that mark was for that, and it was also a commitment. It identified his inheritance. These are the ones that are mine. This is frightening. I alluded to this in Sunday school. This is from Ezekiel chapter 9. I'm always scared of the prophets. I always thought they were cranky. What, they, what it is is they see the big picture. Do you see? Very few times did the prophets see something so close. They saw something broad. And this is, this is what Ezekiel saw in the temple. The Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, he's speaking to an angel, through the midst of Jerusalem and set a mark upon the foreheads of all the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that's done in the midst thereof. Right? Do you mourn for your sin? Do you mourn for it? Do you hate it? He's saying every man that's in this city and mourns secretly sighs for just how bad it is and wishes that I were king here. Mark them. They're mine. And then to the others, to the other angels, he said, in my hearing, go you after them through the city and smite and let not your eyes spare, neither have pity. Slay young and old, maids and little children and women, and let them not come any man upon whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. <laughs> that's, that's just as frightening as it can be. He's saying, everyone that 
mourns for the fact that this place is a sinful, awful sewer. Mark them, they're mine. And their mark is not just my sign of ownership of them. It is a commitment to them, and it's a, it's a safety to them. And then you go, and you smite freely any man upon whom the mark is not. And I think you can see that there's a parallel passage in Revelation. I think you probably thought of it. That there is a separate, very parallel passage to this upon in, at the end of Revelation. So it shows God's authority, his ownership, his commitment. Okay? So in some ways, it's a demonstration, that mark of the Holy Spirit. Do you see gifts of the Holy Spirit? Do you want to pray? Do you want to spend time in his word? Do you hate your sin? Do you see it? These are graces. They're graces that other people would say is worthless. What does this? It's not a house. It's not a, it's not a bar of gold. Why is this valuable? Why would God say that this is, what I, this is the treasure I give to my, to my children? No. That is something that doesn't just mark them, but it demonstrates to you that you belong to God, and that gives you assurance, and that gives you joy. The idea that I will go all the way and that I'm not going to fall right? So we're not just in a big ninja warrior match where we're going to fall on the second pool or fall on the first pool and we'll never get to the end. No, we'll get to the end. And because you know that, because there's joy, because you're marked and you can see the mark and other people can see the mark, it encourages you. Why do we meet together? Because I can see your mark. Do you not know? You must meet together. You meet together so that I can see your mark. The fact that you belong to God and that you are elect of God makes me happy. It makes me trust him more. It makes me love him more. It makes me work out my salvation with fear and trembling more because I can see God working in your life. We must be in each other's lives for that reason. So it's not just to me, but it's to others. Do you see it? It's to God. God's the one that needs to see the mark. But it's to me I need to see the mark because I only see sin on my hands. I only see sin in my heart. But God says, no, 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 I have you. And there are marks of grace on your life, and others can see it too. And that inspires them to fear. So there's a jealousy that comes from people who, when they see that you know God, now they may kill you like Abel. When they see that you love God and that God loves you, and Saul hated David, hated David, hated David. Why did he hate David? David was nothing. David said, I'm a dead dog. Why are you after me? Saul hated him because he could see that God's hand was upon him. That's why he hated him. So you may have persecution in this life. But Jesus said, I overcame this world. You have nothing to really work about. Last thing I wrote is, as I preached, persuasion and assurance has been placed in your heart so that you don't doubt God's love for you. This is 1 John 5.11. And this is the record. That God has given us eternal life, and that this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Look at this last verse. This is one of the most breathtaking verses in the Bible. Look at it. The last one, Isaiah. These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, stop. Those of you who believe on the name of the Son of God, I'm writing you a letter. Okay, keep going. 
that you may know you have eternal life. Yes, you need to know it. You need to know it. But look at the zinger. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Do you see it? Do you see what's written there? To trust God and then to be given an assurance that God has got you makes you trust God. It is a continuously head over heels circle that you will go towards glory. You will, the dawn is breaking and you are walking into the brightness of the day. You, it's only going to get better. Your life may get harder and it may end poorly. But God is doing it, and that's good. That's what you want. That's what you want more than anything. So if Paul could see the calling of God on these people's lives, I have to ask myself, why, why do I doubt it? Why can I not see it? Or maybe I don't look for it, or maybe I'm just moaning in my, in my grovel. It doesn't work. You are rejoicing. And even, remember Jason? Remember Jason from last week? He was saved just that day, and he's already in prison. Do you see? He's already persecuted. But it says with joy, this is verse 6, and you become followers of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy. So that's where we're going to start next time. Much affliction with joy. Because that is what, that's where we live. And sometimes we doubt because we see the affliction and don't remember the joy. If you only see the affliction of your life, you will doubt that there's anything at all that's happened. But if you recognize what God has done, you go through your life with joy, and that is a true mark that you belong to God. So we're gonna, that's where we'll begin the next time.